Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Turns out you have to work on things and it takes a really long time to have an impact. You, When you're young, you really believe it's going to take two years or three years to do something. In actuality, to have a meaningful impact, but you do think that, right? It's crazy, but you think it. To have a meaningful impact, going back to my my dude, Zach Sims, he's been running his company for 11 years before he finally had an outcome, like a like a, a liquidity outcome to sell his company for himself. But the impact that he had, the primary impact was actually at the far, ta- at the tail end of those 11 years. Like it wasn't in year one or year two or year three. The majority of the impact around six, year six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So in my mind, I think, okay, well, what do I care about that I'm going to care about for a good at least five or 10 years? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Julian, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thanks for having me, dude. It is my pleasure to have you here. Um, you're back here for a third time. I think we had you when we were called Blogcast FM. Uh, and much to your credit, I probably uh, am a published author because you turned me on to a very simple habit that has paid off in spades in ways that I never imagined it would. Uh, mm. So, you know, as I joke with Mars Dorian, I was like, I should have given him half of my book advance and you the other half, but I'm not going <laughs> to do that because I don't have any of it left and I wouldn't have done that anyways. So, um, but uh, before we get into everything that you're up to, uh, I want to start by asking you something that I did before. What did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping uh, and uh, influencing what you've ended up doing with your life and your career? Yeah, this is so interesting. I, it, I've recently sort of looked back into the the context of where I come from. And I think probably a lot of people end up doing this, but it's like, I came from a pretty working class background. My uh, family, my my mother's parents were divorced. My father, uh, he came, it, it, our, his marriage with my mom was his second marriage. And uh, they're both very, very much older than me by like a huge amount. And Uh, He was an executive and career coach, which is one of the reasons that I started a coaching software company recently. And my mother was a secretary and they met, uh, you know, working together. And then they ended up getting married as a result of that. But always like, you know, 
I, I don't have any doctors in my or lawyers or accountants or any anybody like that in my family. Uh, I would say it's it's you know it, it we're definitely like first generation kind of successful is the way to think about mm -hmm. it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, did they give you any particular career advice uh, in terms of direction or guidance? And then having parents who are significantly older than you, like I wonder how that you know influenced the kind of values that you inherited from them. Yeah. Well, I, I will say because my dad, like my, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, he was 92. Okay. So, and I'm 42 now. So there's a big gap there. And it means that he was much less, um, like he flipped out much less about parenthood because he had had kids before. And so he mostly, I think, whereas to my mother, I was like, a, you know, the little, the first child, like the little prince type of thing to mm. my father was much more like, yeah, take it easy. And because he was a career coach, he very much, there, I mean, there's a, there's an upside and a downside to it. I believe that, I don't know if you come from a parent, a family that is, that, that tried to drive you in a certain direction. I <laughs> I'm Indian, of course I did. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I was going to suggest, right? It, from my family, they never said, they knew, they, they wanted me to like, quote, find my passion. But it also means that they never really pushed me. Like I played three or something instruments when I was a kid. But if I lost interest or stopped practicing, they were just like, fine, drop it. And there's a part of me now that is like, man, I wish I had just, there is, there is one thing and it, it turned out to be one of my major skill sets. I started, because I started playing Dungeons and Dragons so long and I was a dungeon master, the, the kind of manager of the game for so long, I became very, very good at oratory skills and really good at storytelling, right? Uh, but, but there was no other major thing that my parents drove me to do or become. And to a wish, to a degree, I wish I had a bit more of like a tiger mom, so to speak, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like someone who was just like, fuck you, you're going to work. Like that would have been to a degree, I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe helpful, but regardless, I got here. So I think I'm okay. Well, it's funny you say that because like my parents definitely, they'll deny that they pushed us in any past. My dad's like, oh, we told you to do whatever we want to do. It was like, yeah, you told us we could be any kind of doctor, lawyer, engineer we wanted to. Um, but I, I will say this, like, you know, uh, my, my roommate, older roommate, Matt was like, oh, did you get straight A's in high school? I was like, of course, got straight A's in high school, man. I'm like, at my house, that was like a non-negotiable. You got straight A's. But um, mm. and it's funny because what I realized now was that even though I thought that was ridiculous and a pain in the ass in high school, my parents implicitly taught us the value of intrinsic motivation. They didn't pay us for getting good grades. They're like, that's just what you do. And, <clears throat> uh, you know, that expectation of high achievement, while it comes with certain pressures and can be pushed to a point of diminishing returns, I think, to your point, uh, there are definitely benefits to it. Yeah, I, you know, I just, you know, you always look back, like, it's funny, because we have the deck of cards now that Helen, mm -hmm. my fiance, got us for Christmas and it, it's like question cards and we asked them over dinner and it's like, what would you tell your person, your your version of yourself from 10 years ago that you've learned? And and so it's a lot of really reflective type of questions. It, to yeah. me, I I felt that I was given very much free reign, which allowed me to be an entrepreneur and allowed me to kind of try out a bunch of things. But I do wish like there were several years when I was younger where I, I feel like looking back on it, I kind of wasted them. And I like, again, it turned out fine. But when I have, I have peers of mine who are very successful, a buddy of mine is the founder of Code Academy. His name is Zach Sims. Mm -hmm. uh, we chat 
all the time. And, and he just sold his company for about 500 million bucks. And he's like 31. <laughs> and, and I'm always like, 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 how does that even happen? And then you, if you looked at it LinkedIn, I found myself looking at my friend's LinkedIn. I don't know if you've ever done that, but like, I, I look at it and, and he's been doing it for 11 years. And yeah. so he started Y Combinator probably around the age of 18 or 20 or whatever. And, and so you just have these people that were just driven and pushed in a certain direction for, for their whole lives. And I just never was one of them. Uh, so I had another guy here. Um, uh, I think if I remember his name, he wrote a book called Messy. Uh, and I can't remember his last name. His first name was Tim. Uh, but we, we were talking about D&D and he was a big D&D player. And, you know, I'd ask him about misperceptions of, you know, people who play D&D and the you know, I would not have connected amazing oratory skills to somebody who played a lot of D&D because I think typically the the stereotype is, oh, these are just geeks who sit around, you know, on their computers. Um, so explain to me how that happens. Like what misperceptions do we have and how do you develop the skill of oratory and great storytelling from something like D&D? Okay, so, so what happens? Um, so I'm 10 years old and I pick up like for some people that know the red box, the red box is like the first kind of really slick published dungeons and dragons box and it, i mean it's having a resurgence now hugely right like all the, I, I look at all these podcasts like both on spotify and on youtube and it's like this thing is is uh sponsored by D D beyond i was like man look how far we've come you know so so this is not a popular hobby when i'm 10 and i'm looking at it and i'm like oh my god this is so cool and I find friends that I'm actually friends that I still play with today. And, and you wouldn't, you know, it's so interesting. It's like, you might be thinking of of certain things that your kid does and you think of them as being, uh, let's say wasted time. So I think that my parents probably saw it as wasted time. If I think on it now, but it taught me an enormous amount about improvisation because you bring a group of your peers that you're ostensibly like trying to show a good time and impress and you bring them in a room and for five hours or whatever they each i'm sure you know i think most people listening to this probably know how it works but like each player plays a single character and then you that quote dungeon master as they say uh, ends up playing literally the rest of the world. So you literally control everything, whether a cup falls, whether someone attacks, whether you what what the weather is, like you control everything. And so the amount of pressure that you put on yourself while doing this is a crazy amount of pressure, and you have to improvise what happens live. And these sessions are not like, they don't last like a minute. They last like I said, like five hours. Mm. And so I think that it teaches you an enormous amount. I, I, I actually know a few other um, successful startup CEOs that are uh, that have been running D&D games forever. The one who comes to mind right now is one of my investors, actually, Rahul Vora, who started a company, Superhuman. Yep, I use and, Superhuman. <laughs> and, yes, it's, it's just like these people that are, that are they, they nonstop are just like, imagining inventing almost like like creating their own world and so if you put them in front of a room uh they just have a natural ability maybe or at least i learned a natural ability to be able to just to speak about any subject 
to talk on the fly, to randomly um, be able to, you know, invent answers to things that you may never have thought of before, just because like every weekend you did this basically nonstop. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, it makes me think of, of something Robert Greene said when uh, we we're here talking about mastery. He said, you know, there's no experience in your life that should be thought of as wasted. And he said the you know, metaphor is biodiversity. So the more species that you have in an ecosystem, the richer that ecosystem is. Um, and that actually largely informed how I chose podcast guests from that mm. point forward and also how I read books. Like, And I've noticed that with a lot of my friends who are highly creative. Like you look at Ryan Holiday. Um, I always come back to his newsletter as an example of somebody who is, you know, very diverse in terms of his consumption habits. Like if you look at a Ryan Holiday book, uh, every book is drawing examples from history, from sports, from politics, from military, <laughs> from philosophy. It's kind of amazing that he, you know, mixes all these diverse inputs. Of course, he's a Robert Greene protege, so that's not surprising. Yeah, it it um and as I think about Ryan, if I remember correctly, he's constantly reading, constantly trying to absorb information. He's actually like very naturally interested in history and in and in examples of like leadership or example of whether stoicism or not. And yeah. so like there's a kind of I don't know. I, I've come back to this view that because uh, I I was in before my previous company that I ran, which I ran for quite some time, raised a whole bunch of money for and ran to about 150 or something employees called Breather, which I think probably some people that will listen to this uh, have heard about. There's a fractional uh, real estate technology startup that I started when I was about 33 or something. Yeah. When I was looking and saying, okay, well, what am I going to do now that I've finished working on this company We'd hired an outside CEO, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I was like, well, turns out you have to work on things and it takes a really long time to have an impact. You, When you're young, you really believe it's going to take two years or three years to do something. In actuality, <laughs> to have a meaningful impact. But you do think that, right? It's crazy, but you think it. Yeah. To have a meaningful impact, going back to my, my dude, Zach Sims, he'd been running his company for 11 years before mm -hmm. he finally had an outcome like a like a, a liquidity outcome to sell his company for himself but the impact that he had the primary impact was actually at the far at the tail end of those 11 years like it wasn't in year 1 or year 2 or year 3 the majority of the impact around year 6 7 8 9 10 so in my mind i think okay well what do i care about for that i'm going to care about for uh, a good at least five or 10 years. And there were actually only mm -hmm. a few things that I could come up with. And one of them was games. And another one was personal development, which is how we ended up coming up with a, a working on a coaching business. And, yeah. and so, uh, and that's turned out well, like we have, you know, Tony Robbins that invested and all these things. So now it's like it's developed its own momentum, but, but that's how I came to these decisions. I thought, well, the things that I cared about when I was 10 and that I still care about now that I'm 40, I'm like, this is like inevitably those things will continue. Whereas what are the things that I cared about at 20, but stopped caring about at 30? Well, like there's probably a whole bunch of those, but I'm, I'm going to guess that there's very few through lines throughout your entire life that last for an enormous, just a huge arc of time. And those are probably the things you should be focusing on. Yeah. Well, let, let's, uh, let's actually go back to the beginning. Cause I mean, I found out about you and connected with you initially because you were uh, a writer, a blogger who had this wildly popular blog on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I wonder, you know, at what point do you decide that, okay, this part of my career is done? Because I remember you wrote two books. You did, you know, the, the I yeah. think three actually, if I remember correctly. And then I think the last thing you did was flinch with Seth Godin. Um, mm -hmm. But it, there are two things. Um, I, I want to bring back a clip from our previous conversation um, mm. and then you know, talk to you about how you think about when you're done with something. So take a listen. 
I follow trends in technology, and then I use those trends to create something interesting and new and or be a part of something interesting and new. And then that usually ends up taking my career to a level it's never been at before. You're looking at this thing and going, what is this going to really enable? Like, what's different? You could never have predicted by predicting the mobile, by looking at the mobile phone, you can never have predicted Uber, for example. Mm-hmm. But GPS plus screens plus all these issues create this system, which was previously impossible. The, the way that we at Breather think about that is we think about the same kind of platform, the same kind of tool that becomes available through physical space, which is like basically created through electronic locks. Mm-hmm. So electronic locks are, is this thing that allows you to open sort of a network of rooms with your phone, which is a very, to us, is an incredibly exciting and an incredibly uh, revolutionary thing. So, uh, you know, I've probably quoted that a thousand times, used it in presentations, used it to inform, you know, decisions. But, you know, so I want to talk about first when you decide that you're done with something. And then let's get into that whole idea of looking at trends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, first of all, it's super interesting to listen to myself <laughs> again from that viewpoint. And I think it's amazing that, you, that you're bringing it here. So that there is, uh, I, I view my, I don't know, like I was very informed by this comic, what is called like Saturday morning breakfast cereal, maybe is what it's called. And in, you know how comics like randomly, they'll have like funny things. And I'm talking about a web comic mm-hmm. and uh, they have funny things, but then every little while they'll come out with something like very true. And, and I actually, I, I grew up on comics like Calvin and Hobbes and, uh, and, uh, Bloom County and like a bunch of other comics from back in the day when you used to open your newspaper and, and there would be a whole patron. Uh, maybe there still is. I don't know. And, and this one was, uh, that you can have, you tend to have a career every seven years. And I thought about this many times and this idea of you can, so first of all, that, that gives you like this, this really good perspective on your life, which is that you actually have a shot at doing many, many different things. They do it, it, it follows my view of that 10-year, in this case, I'm saying seven-year arc. Yeah. It, it gives you a shot at many different things that you find interesting. Uh, at the time at which I had started Breather, I felt as if I had written probably like the best things that I would have ever written. And I was starting to feel like writing is is more of a marketing and dollar collection exercise than a value generation exercise. Mm-hmm. And and so that actually turned out not to be true because very shortly thereafter, someone used a blog post of mine and turned it into a very <laughs> successful blog. Yeah. Which so we, we can we don't we don't have to get into that. But it turns out that I, that wasn't quite right. But it was in my mind, I was like, I was like, well, Okay, so probably the majority of the stuff that I have, until I have a major idea to contribute or a new way to contribute to an old idea, I was like, I will, uh, I've got this idea, and it's, it's what I'm talking about in that clip, which was to create a company breather. I ended up raising, I'd never raised venture capital before. I'd never started a company, really. I'd never had an employee, really. I ended up with 150 employees, 100, sorry, 250 employees, 150 million raised, and literally went from zero to an unbelievable status 
as a startup, like in the industry, it even shocks me. Like I was, I was raising a, a round of financing for practice recently and I got mm-hmm. on the phone with a rando dude and I had never heard of him before. It turns out he had started a pretty successful company. And he said, you started breather. I was like, yeah. And he goes, I'm in for 2 million. That was the whole discussion just like that. Mm. And so it, it it is remarkable to me, this idea of, of how much of an impact you can have in a bunch of different places. But I really felt at the time that, that I was like, well, okay, probably like maybe there's another book that I can do or whatever, but it, it felt, it felt much less like I, I really want to contribute. Like I really want to make things happen. And often I felt that books, it's not always true. Interviews are actually probably the purest form of, of contribution because it's many people talking about ideas versus one. But uh, often it's like 201 people teaching 101 ideas to 101 people or 301 people or 401 people, but nonetheless teaching down the stack. And I, I didn't like in, in tech, you don't really have that. In tech, what happens is, is it's just people are unbelievably driven and smart. And I'm sure it's true in like a lot of places, right? Probably maybe it's true in politics. Like, I don't know. But something unique happens in tech. And you, like, I just recently hired uh, someone on the marketing side for my company, a woman, Eva. But it's true with other people that I've worked with. If she listens to this, she'll be probably chuffed, right? Like, like just just people that are super talented. And you're like, wow, what a, what a privilege to work with people like this. Like, it is so amazing. And yeah. so the view is different because I don't know about you, like when I published media, I was, ta- I was quote unquote talent for a long time in media. And I was very, uh, I was, I was, I enjoyed having written more than I enjoyed writing, which is ironic because the thing that you, t- you talk about that you got advice from me about, about writing a thousand words a day, I still, <laughs> I still do it. Like, yeah. so that kind of writing, which is a personal type of writing that I do myself for myself, I got up this morning and yesterday and the day before, and I wrote a thousand words a day and I've been doing it for, I think, probably over 20 years, yeah, but that's a different type 13. of writing than writing for an audience, which is like a whole yeah. other thing. Anyway, it's a very complex subject. Ultimately, in short, I felt that I had a bigger, con- it's not that I felt I was losing contribution. It felt that I could contribute more faster. And it turns out that my talents or at least some of them are very applicable in technology and i didn't realize that i think i'm a i think i'm a much better ceo and operator and creator of businesses than i am a writer and i'm i I thought i was a pretty good writer right so it's nice to find that it's funny you say that because uh you know i went through the whole book writing thing i got my book deal largely because the habit that you taught me to develop um (laughs) and Funny enough, you know, to, to after two books, I mean, I wasn't, you know, a Mark Manson who was the person who basically capitalized on your idea. And I think after that, the entire publishing industry lost their mind and thought putting fuck in the title of every book was the key to like, you know, billion dollar books. But we'll go back to that. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that I thought about was after writing two books, I thought, OK, well, we raised around a venture funding. Where's the payoff going to be bigger? Um, and where's the contribution going to be bigger? I'm like, all right, if I you know, get another six figure book contract. That'll give me a windfall that lasts me two years. If we mm-hmm. grow unmistakable, sell it, you know, provide a return to our investors that will set me up for life. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, that thing 50 cent Robert Green talk about long-term payoff versus uh, immediate or immediate payoff versus long-term potential. 
and really mm-hmm. looking at that. So one thing that I, I am curious about, you know, you meant you mentioned going from, you know, being a writer and a creator and talent to being a CEO. Uh, and as you and I were talking about before we hit record, that is a, a bizarre transition to make. I mean, even I have found it like, okay, wow, this is a, it, because it's a totally different skill set. but I will tell you what I did learn from writing books that I feel like will serve me for the rest of my life. And that is that mm. I can take anything that is a vague idea and see it to completion. And I was like, that's a skill you can apply to damn near anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and you're not, and most people in the, the the book space is like not completely separate from the marketing space. They are distinct to a degree, but definitely yeah. people in that world are not completists by nature. They're more like, they're like, oh, I'll go here and there. And like, they have a, like a lot of unfinished things that they do. But once you figure out, you're like, okay, I got to write this book. You're never going to hit deadline, but regardless, like I'm going to write this book. I'm going to publish it. It's going to go out. It's like, I did something and it's on the shelf, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's something about that. Even today, like, like, I mean, I'm sure it, I know it happens to you. It's different than a company. I'm happy that my company had, a, you know, a, millions of people use Breather and, and had a hopefully positive experience, mostly did. And I know a lot of people read the books that I wrote. I'm very proud of that. Uh, but it's like it, it, the book is is on the shelf. And there's something about on the shelf that is special. Whereas a company, even though it's out there, people use it or it's software, it's real world or whatever. It, there's I don't know. I, I've had a reverence for books. I still have it, nice. uh, which I and so it's, it's, to me, it's special. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm. Well, you know, I, I think to me, I think the way I think about it is I never want to be defined by any one thing for the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah, um, I don't think I do either, but I suspect that probably one thing that I end up doing will dwarf everything else. And actually, you know, to tell you the truth, even though hundreds of thousands of people have read that book, Flinch, that we're talking, we were talking about a second ago, even though Trust Agents was a New York Times bestseller, et cetera, et cetera, by far, Breather had, was more successful just from, I mean, obviously from a revenue standpoint, that's true, but, but it was much more successful from a cultural impact standpoint than any of my books were, which is like, Again, like it's like it's a funny thing to talk to you. Like you, you and I have longer context. We have fifteen almost years of context between one another, mm, yeah. and the fact that you and I can talk about that arc, not a lot of people can do it. And and the only reason that I was able to switch from being a writer to being a to a CEO or a tech entrepreneur on a in a, in a strict sense, it's like venture backed and all those things. Is because uh, I, I probably because I, I'm really good at coming up with ideas, but also because uh, I'm enough driven by fear <laughs> yeah. that I was so afraid my first company would would fail that I would would have to succeed. But like mm-hmm. I I didn't know it's the same as you. Like you don't know how to run a company until you start doing it, right? Yeah, it's not exactly it's a, a job you learn. <laughs> From and else. it's not necessarily a job you want either. It's like the most thankless right. job in the world <laughs> up until it's yeah. not. Um, you, did, you know, one thing that is interesting, you know, you talked about a breather dwarfed, uh, you know, everything else. And there's, uh, I don't know if you remember Naval Ravikant's podcast, uh, How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky, which is literally mm-hmm. probably the I only do. podcast I listen to, where he, he talked about Sam Altman, who said, you know, he basically he wants whatever he does next to make whatever he did previously look like a footnote in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> And that always stayed with me. And you know, to your point, like I know for a fact, I'm a far better interviewer than I am a writer. And I know this based on the numbers, far more people listen to our podcast than read my writing. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so 
One other thing that you said, you know, we're talking about coming up with ideas. Um, there's something you said in our previous conversation that I pulled that I thought was really interesting and I wanted to do a deeper dive into. Take a listen. Technology is a series of Jenga blocks that build on top of each other. And each Jenga block is necessary for the next Jenga block to exist, but we can't predict what will happen ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But we always have to be saying, oh, here's this new tool. What does this new tool allow me to do over and over and over and over again? So that has always stayed with me uh, because I think ever since that conversation, every time I see a new app, new tool, my default question is not how do I use this to grow my audience? It's always how can I make something that I couldn't before using this? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was largely to do like I look at every new piece of technology. I'm like, yeah, that's my default question is, okay, what can I make using this? Um, But you know, speaking of Jenga blocks, I, this was the example I used in a talk I gave to business school based on this conversation, you know, and I, of course, cited Breather as an example of how you have like these intersections of different technologies and uh, how, you know, basically in the early 90s, you had the combination of the intersection of the commercial web browser, um, the ability to process credit cards, which was a contribution of the porn industry if, for people who don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then, you know, uh, e-commerce, as you know, it is born by the intersection of those two technologies. And then you fast forward to like Web 2.0. And then you get to, you know, mobile devices like you talked about in GPS. And then, you know, you get another billion dollars in innovation. Uh, Personally, I think the next batch of these built like the next device that's going to enable the level of innovation the iPhone did is the Oculus. But I'm curious, like from where you're standing now, um, one, what does it look like to you? And more importantly, people listening to this, how do they identify those kinds of opportunities, uh, whether to further their careers or to start things? Okay, so it's very, first of all, it's very challenging. This is a super long subject, but it's a subject that I'm super fascinated with because I've started a number of companies and because I was first in in the forefront of a number of technologies, podcasting being one of them, as you know, because you were there too, right? And so so the what happens if I think about it, and I'm sort of uh, riffing a little bit in terms of the mm-hmm. way that I talk about it, is that there are meaningful changes in value that occur, that occur as a result of uh, often an important cultural change, an important uh, you know, technological change, or vice versa. And actually, it, there's uh, Ray Dalio has a book, Principles of yep. what's the recent one that just recently yeah, changing, came out. The Changing World Order. Yeah, yeah. Principles Literally of Changing on my World desk. Orders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my audiobook, so same, yeah. So that book will give you some sort of global ways that that major changes could occur. But uh, if you think back on things that could happen and what happens in these in these spaces is that actually there's a number of companies that could be started and um, that there are usually transformations that occur in every industry. And so we were talking a moment ago about electronic locks and actually before that that you used the quote about Uber. And, and so I'm really fascinated right now by the reduction in, um, and this is like pretty edge case, but for those people that are interested in it, it's super fascinating, the reduction in uh, cost per square feet of commercial real estate because of the fact that office space is just like, like to a degree, like obliterated by COVID, right? And, and how some portion of that is being taken up by cloud kitchens, which in case you don't know, is is basically like, it's like a shadow kitchen that's sitting inside of shitty office space. 
and that people use effectively only for takeout for things like DoorDash and Uber Eats. And uh, what, what you may or may not know, depending on how close you are to tech, is that uh, Travis Kalanick, they call him TK, so let's call him that from now on, who was one of the founders of Uber, then started a company, Cloud Kitchens, dedicated to this phenomenon, and it's worth like $15 billion, even though nobody has heard of it right now, mm. right? And so you've got this. So here, here's an, another set of examples. Here's an example. This example is the average uh, revenue uh, is going to be about the same for a meal, but they don't need to pay for the retail storefront of that uh, that rest, that uh, meal, uh, excuse me, you don't have to pay for the retail storefront of that space, that restaurant anymore, because more and more people are eating out. And of course, COVID like obliterated a lot of that way that we consume food in, in, in a lot of circumstances. And so now it's like, well, the economics are transformed. And so similarly, Breather had a similar situation, which was what happens if you could rent office space for any length of time, an hour, four hours, a day, two days, and you basically disconnect the lease from the ability to have the office space. So it turns out you could make a lot of margin on that. So once again, the co- the value of the square foot is is like transformed there. So now let's get out of real estate. And, and so you look at a situation where the majority of companies that produce value these days and that are growing tend to be technology companies, and there's an enormous amount of venture capital going into them. And the majority of the uh, the power that is happening inside of these companies happens through founders. As a result, coaching, which is why I one of the reasons I started a coaching company, becomes this super huge increasing phenomenon. And everyone all of a sudden has an executive coach that supports them in their ability to be CEO, which in the in the 80s and the 90s was not true at all. And so there's mm-hmm. always these like waves of of things that occur and they occur either like generationally or they occur, uh, you know, in small little places where some people don't notice. I think Oculus probably is one of them. Recently, someone said that there were more sales of, I think the most recent Oculus device in over PS5s. uh, And so it's becoming a more and more popular gaming device as a result. It's probably true. And so, like, there's just there's a ton of this stuff that's occurring at every level. And what mm-hmm. I think is super fascinating about this space, just in general, the way that tech is developing, is that there's gigantic amounts of capital that you can you can start businesses with this way. Yeah. Because everyone is looking at it going, like, what's the next thing? What's the, like, is it Bitcoin? Like, is it DeFi? Is it decentralized finance? Like, NFTs? What is that? Like, and, and they have the ability to, to deploy money or effectively treat it like a giant poker table uh, such that we can find advances and efficiencies that didn't exist before, right? And of course, there's like cultural consequences and blah, 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 all these things, uh, yada, yada, yada. But the point is, is is the, the opportunities are everywhere, but you look in basically in terms of what are the new things that someone can do that couldn't, they couldn't do before. And, and the most, most of the things that people are looking at these days are creator economy related things, which is mm-hmm. just like everyone can have a business and everyone can start uh, being being a creator, not just a consumer of media on the Internet. Well, what's the impact of that? 
And so every, and similarly, Substack is like, everyone can start a newsletter. Like it just goes on and on. And more and more, uh, the way that one thinks about it is it's really about democratization of access to some mm-hmm. technology such that everyone can receive it. So at the very yeah. beginning, everyone is a consumer and you are a, uh, you, the very few, the 1% are producers. And typically the gigantic outcomes occur when it goes from 1% are creators and 99% are consumers to pushing to a level where 100% as much as possible are consumers, excuse me, are mm. creators. Yeah. And the more that you do that, the more you produce like gigantic outcomes for people. Okay, so let's we'll, we'll go back to that in a bit more detail. I mean, speaking of Oculus and, and things that it made possible, you know, you and I were talking about the fact that we shopped around the idea for a TV show. I wanted to do a David Letterman style Netflix type thing, and I realized when I got inside of the Oculus for the first time, I was like, wait a minute, I can host a guest like you and I. If you had an Oculus, could be having this conversation in VR, and I mm-hmm. could invite every single person listening to this who has an Oculus. So we literally could create a live show and make people feel like they're there. That wasn't possible yeah. even three years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um. So suddenly, like even something like putting on a conference, which used to be astronomically expensive, which I've tried to do before, um, and especially trying to get the people like my guests who all get paid to speak to be like, hey, would you come and do this thing for free? Even I wouldn't do that now. Um, but suddenly it's like, hey, I'll, you know, you don't have to leave your home. You just put this thing on for 45 minutes and talk. Uh, it totally changes everything. Uh, but you know, speaking of the creator economy, you talked about the fact that it democratizes access. Cal Newport and I were having this conversation when I was a guest on this podcast, and he said democratizing access doesn't change the dynamics of winner takes all. Um, and I have seen a lot when it comes to this creator economy thing. I think that there is a level of optimism at times that I think is delusional because it's like, yes, everybody can do this, but you of all people know that just because you can, it doesn't mean you're going to succeed because if you're competing against that much noise, what you create is better be fucking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has to be super good and the production value has to increase over time. There is a period in time, and I think you and I have seen many of those things. Uh, Substack is probably, I, I, I'm I'm very close to all those people because they, a lot of those companies tend to be funded by Andrews and Horowitz and so, so yeah. is my current company. And so- Substack, there was a phase where anyone could become one without an existing audience beforehand and could become like very big on Substack. And some of my yeah. buddies, like Lenny Richitsky and a few others, are have very meaningful Substack. Uh, and Packy McCormick have very sub- meaningful Substack newsletters. And then you have a set, another phase, and this was true in podcasting, where you had randos who became hugely successful. And yeah. And it was true on YouTube, same thing, right? When there was no uh, production value, but all that it took is just to be able to create something and have the impetus to do it. Now, over time, it is definitely true that winner takes all or winner takes most, but it is also true that the pie is getting bigger over time. Mm, And the amount of consumption that is occurring, uh, even if we include all those things together, we include Maven, uh, peer-to-peer, uh, sorry, uh, um, cohort-based courses. We include Substacks, and we include YouTube videos. We include time on Clubhouse for those that do that. We include like all of these media consumption patterns, for example. And we just say, well, actually, the pie of this type of democratized media is increasing, and the amount of the pie of traditional media, which is more one-to-many and much more centrally controlled is uh, decreasing now some people that are that are creating 
uh, media in this many-to-many democratized technology sort of enabled format are complete idiots, but let's put that to the side for the moment. <laughs> the, the, the reality is, is whoever, whether they're stupid or not, it is, it, it's still a, 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 an inevitable continuous pattern of from one to many, from, from, from centralized one to many to many to many. And over time, the more you bet on the many to many category, and this includes maybe probably things like, like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and like all these other ways of, of, uh, for, for transactions to occur. And then you end up in a place where you're probably long term, your bets will be correct. But that doesn't change the fact that your timing might be off. And when your timing is off, that's when things really get fucked up. So yeah. often the most common thing that that you talk about with someone in, in technology is they're like, oh, yeah, well, I did Twitter before Twitter or something. And it'd be like, well, that, that's that's not fucking Twitter then, is it? You know, the, yeah. the reality is, is that it needed to occur at a certain time with certain advantages. Luck was, was a contributing factor. So you can put as much as you can kind of on your side. But the reality is, is that you still there still has to be a a certain amount that you definitely cannot control and you cannot really control timing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I started the podcast, I think it was what, 2009, 2010, people said podcasts were dead. I just was very, you know, I'm the beneficiary of being 10 years ahead of, you know, a massive cultural trend. And I will say you're one of the few that kept going. There were so (laughs) many people. And by the way, you deserve enormous credit for this because most people that started podcast, like I started in 2004, Four, when it was literally invented. But what does that matter? Because over all of that time, it's the people with the staying power or the people with gigantic audiences from elsewhere, right? Mm, that yeah. really were able to keep growing and build a business off of it and succeed. I will say that that was definitely one of the weaknesses of, of my game, so to speak, back then, is that I, I did create a lot of media and I was very, I participated on a lot of different things. But a lot of people were smarter than me because they had businesses behind it. Mm-hmm. And I, at that time, did not have a lot of business behind what I was doing because I yeah. was like, eh, I was very like, I don't know. Uh, I was reticent about it. Actually, I, I would say like my, it was, I had a view a little bit then that business was dirty. And <laughs> my, obviously that's, that's completely changed around, turned around yeah. now. But the, it's the people that have the staying power to be able to stay in the space and really care about the space that really ultimately make a difference, not only for others, but like for themselves and their life. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, you know, we were talking earlier about long-term perspective. I mean, Sam Altman uh, in his Y Combinator Startup School podcast, he actually said, you know, a lot of founders come in, they think, hey, I'm going to you know do this thing for three years, get rich, count my cash on the beach. He said he defined a long-term perspective as 10 years. Mm-hmm. He's completely right. I've actually seen it occur many times now. Like Breather was created in 2012, 13. It's mm-hmm. a 10 year arc. Uh, it was, it was sold uh, during COVID like seven years in maybe. Yeah. Right. I know that my arc with uh, practice is going to be around 10 years. What, uh, what I will say that I do have a good feeling about is that once you have seen many 10 year arcs, you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you go away from this feeling of this is my baby. Oh my God. It must like the stress goes away because a few of your 10 or seven to 10 year arcs have occurred. And you're like, this is my current one. I really care about it. 
but like I'm not going to throw myself off a bridge if my timing was off, right? For yeah. example. Well, I mean, I think that makes a, a perfect segue to revisiting something else that you said in our last conversation. Take a listen. The way that I generally make decisions is going, what is the least competitive thing to do? What is the newest thing to do where a few, only very few people can follow me? Mm-hmm. And based on those things, you can probably create like a career or a couple years of your life where you're going to have a kind of a cool, successful thing for a while. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a new trend will emerge and then you'll do, go on and do that thing. You have to almost have a sentiment for yourself. I have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. If I have nothing to lose, I'm just going to go all the way and create like the most ballsy thing that I can possibly create. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult thing to do, but it gets better with practice. Mm-hmm. And hopefully as you get older, you don't become risk averse, which I'm concerned about. Well, let's talk about a couple of things here uh, in terms of both, you know, risk aversion, managing psychology, you know, stick to it. I mean, you've, you know, seen multiple tenure arcs. I mean, I think I realized, you know, throughout this, there have definitely been times when I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I not mm-hmm. where I want to be? You know, I'm on year 11 now and I'm like, okay, I'm nowhere near a $500 million exit. Um, and sometimes like I think, to, you know, my parents are questioning my sanity. I still have days when I'm just like, okay, how am I going to make ends meet at times? Um, you know, I mean, it's not what it was six, seven years ago, but it's still stressful. Uh, it's far from perfect. So I wonder how you think about, I mean, I think that's like a, a perfect thing to talk about in the context of a coaching company, um, you know, risk managing psychology and, and also, you know, having the audacity to stick with it. I mean, to me, my, my reason for sticking with it is like, ah, I don't have an alternative. Nobody's going to hire me to do anything because I can't keep a job. Yeah. But there's some comfort in that, right? There's some comfort in saying it's never going to be someone else. So it's got to be me, which results in you having to make something work and and so i uh, i that risk that risk tolerance that i'm talking about in that clip and by the way this is an amazing format to do something that had never occurred to me but it's actually amazing that you've done it uh is that that risk tolerance is a way of talking about asymmetric upside versus downside like like in in venture often people will say well i can only lose one times my money like if i put a hundred thousand dollars into something as an example be like, I can only lose $100,000. But if I've done my job well, I can make five, 10, 100, or whatever times my money if I am really smart about it. So that risk tolerance is a way of understanding asymmetric upside versus downside. One thing that is definitely true is that when you are younger, it you have less and less and less and less to lose. You sometimes have nothing to lose, which is actually incredible. Looking at it now from someone who's who's meaningfully older, I see why people become risk tolerant. But there is something amazing about entrepreneurship where you're just like, you know what, fuck it. And, and it's almost like it's also like not caring about failure as much. I think the previous version of me had a fear of public failure, whereas now I actually it depends on the space. It's not true in academia. It's not true in, you know, probably like a, a Fortune 500 or wherever some a, lot, a fair amount of people work. But in the spaces where entre- entrepreneurs put themselves, by and large, unless you're out there creating fire festival or something, right, something like inherently scammy and unethical, then you're probably like even your failures are experiments. And eventually a success will occur, like we're saying, dude that completely overwhelms all the previous things that you did and all the failures that you had. 
And so, like, the view, the view now is take as many shots on goal as you can that have good access to upside and limited downside. So it's like the downside is like, oh, I tried to start my company. Like, there's so many people talking back to things that you uh, you did when you were young and the way you were brought up when you were young. So many entrepreneurs that I know were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I was an eBay power seller when I was a, when I was a kid. I would buy Nintendo games in garage sales. I'm making this up, but like, well, part yeah. of it is true, true of someone I know. But uh, I would buy uh, garage sale uh, video games and then sell them on eBay for five times as much or whatever, right? I never had that background, but those are perfect, like, usable things where the downside is basically zero, but the upside from a learning and also from a cap cash perspective are actually kind of infinite. And so the many, so you throw yourself as a, at as many things like that as you possibly can, and you're just continuously getting better. I was recently reminiscing on this idea of being a CEO and how I'm coming on probably my eighth or ninth year of being a startup CEO in a couple of companies and the anxiety that I felt over it then and how little I knew about what I was doing, even though I was able to grow the company like pretty big versus now. And you just know how to start like a business. You just know. You're like, okay, this is the next step. Okay, this is the, like, and everything is, is it's not, it, it being, understandable doesn't mean it's a guaranteed success mm-hmm. but it definitely means that you 100 like it's unbelievable like i know how to build a sales team i know how to i know how to raise money i know how to get be able to gather smart teammates i know how to do marketing i know how to do fucking branding i know how to build an engineering team i know how to build a product i know how to listen to custom like the amount of things that you learn in a short period of time when you put yourself in those situations is really absurd and vastly outweighs the downside and also vastly overwhelms what the average person learns in a day yeah. and by the way like i'm doing this like remote now as many people are today right and and the access is still to access to to learning is still unbefuckingly So my view on what I said then is more nuanced, but still true, which is look at moments where there are there are transformations that occur, and then back those transformations with energy and time and learning, and then take a shot. Uh, and wow. the doesn't shot doesn't work. It actually doesn't matter because nobody's going to remember. <laughs> and then like they, they don't. Yeah. And I then can, like, I can take another shot. Like just be like, huh. And this other thing is interesting. I would just say that the, the one thing that's tough is that people tend to start things when they're in the popular consciousness. Yep. And when they're in the popular <laughs> consciousness tends to be when they're too popular. Yep. And that's totally. the one thing. Is is being able to look in like in like little corners where nobody's paying attention and being like, this is interesting. Yeah. That's that's how you start a company ahead of the game, minimizing the amount of competition you're gonna end up getting. Totally. I always say you want to start trends, not follow them. Let's wrap this up. I got two final questions for you. Uh I mean, you've had, you know, by most people's, you know, measure quite a degree of success. I mean, how has your personal definition of success evolved with each iteration of your career? Uh, I will say it's much more now about a happy life. 
it's true that there is still a part of me that measures myself by my public perception, like like how people think of me. But I've done enough successful, at least ish, things that I feel like I've had a good run in my past. Mm. And the fact that I've had that now I'm like much more like I'm going to build something that I really care about and that's going to help a lot of people. But it's much more, much, much less driven by and that lots of people are going to know about. Now I'm like, I just want it to be cool for the people that are that find it that, that for which it helps them. And I want to work with cool, smart people like it's it's. The company that I practice, which I just recently, I started about two years ago. We just raised, finished a $10 million raise these, like in the past couple months. Uh, that company was started literally because I had some people from Breather. We were all like, we all really liked and respected one another. And we said, let's do something else again together. And it was, mm-hmm. and it was based in the people, the quality of the people. And it still is based, even though we're probably 15 to 20 people now, it's still based in bring in really smart people. Because that's like, that's what's really exciting about that kind of work. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? <sighs> I think you have to be authentically yourself, probably. Uh, it, has to, it has to be some natural version of you. Right, the same way that people light up when you when you ask them if they're like guitar dudes, and you and and, and you ask them about that, and and they just light up completely. Yeah. That's when they. That's when you see the real them. That's when they recognize themselves. So so if they can be that person like the majority of their time, then that's like unmistakable, right? Hmm. And then. It's probably about just being willing to express that as much as you can, like having the courage and having the uh, willingness to really put it out there. Wow. Amazing. Um, Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights uh, with our listeners. Uh, I really thrilled to be able to have this conversation and reconnect after such a long time. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work and everything you're up to today? Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, it's pretty easy to find me in a lot of places. So, uh, Twitter would be Julian Smith, uh, sorry, it would be twitter.com slash Julian, uh, spelt the French way because that's where I come from. Uh, my company is at practice.do, D-O. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm all over the place blog podcasts is anywhere uh always accessible to be able to help others and to try and make a difference amazing and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that thank you for listening to this episode of the unmistakable creative podcast while you were listening were there any moments you found fascinating inspiring instructive maybe even heartwarming can you think of anyone a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.